Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the, the V8, V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. This week we find out why Russell's saying goodbye. Yeah, if it was my choice solely, I'd probably go on for as long as I could walk. And what's the future of the Gold Coast? We find out today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing, and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Here is the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Russell Ingall told the V8 Insiders that although he'll be in his final season this year, it's about this time of year that he'll be saying he wants it to keep going. You know, no, my luck, I'll have a burst a year and want to carry on, but uh, but I suppose that's life, you know. you just gotta, you just got to say, well, you know, make a commitment and say that's it and all the rest of it. So, um, But, you know, like I said, I've had a fair innings. I can't complain. You can hear more from Ingle on this week's White Flag Lap. Alan Moffat has told the V8 Insiders that he's unsure if history will repeat itself and see Ford pulling out of Australian motorsport as they did in the 70s. Certainly potentially capable of going that way, but surely people uh, will find a way around it. And really, by the time all of this will will take place in uh, 2016, uh, perhaps the... Ford fortunes will turn around a little bit, or by that time the eight supercars will find some reason to change the rules altogether, and and everybody will have to play, uh, come up with a new car. Who knows? I don't know. I can't. Can't. I don't have a crystal ball in that department. Tim Slade talked about his year so far and what it's like with the Erebus AMG. We've really struggled with the drivability of the motor um, due to the just the twin throttle bodies as opposed to the eight individual butterflies which we went back to which is you know what we've always run and what everyone else runs so it, it was a real struggle to try and determine exactly what the what the chassis was doing um, but now you know the car is is fairly normal or well, the motor is fairly normal in a, in a drivability sense so we've only really had a true indication of what the the chassis has been doing um, you know Perth and and here so uh, yeah, you know, we started behind and then, um, well, I mean, I guess the, the project come together all, all pretty late, so put us behind to start with, but then when you've got that problem, it's, it's very frustrating and, um, yeah, I mean, all, all that's perfect, or well, almost perfect now, fairly normal, um, but, yeah, we just need a, um, a few more kilometres in a, in a straight line. More speculation on the future of the Gold Coast event has seen V8 supercars working hard to secure government support. 
James Warburton, the newly installed CEO, has met with government officials and whilst no announcement has been made, it is thought that the funding of the Commonwealth Games could see the V8s lose out on their event. It is expected, though, that the Townsville ranks will continue to receive government support. Finally, the latest edition of VADX magazine is now available, with the magazine undergoing a huge makeover. In this issue, you can see the future of the Ford and their history and relationship with Dick Johnson Racing. Shane Van Gisberg and Greg Murphy and Russell Ingle all talk about their 2013. The digital version is now available for iPad through the mag shop. And that's the news on the VAD Insiders brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. That's www.nobrac.com.au. After the break, Ben Beasley and Tony Shebecki join me for a look at the Gold Coast and a lot more. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, the man that on the bench last weekend, in fact, said was the best in the SEN stable. They said he always gives 110% from on the grid. It's Tony Shebecki. Uh, thanks for the memories there, Craig. Yes, good day to you and uh, good day to our fellow co-host. Yes, Ben Beasley from Fox Sports News. Good evening, Ben. Hey, y'all. How was your... He's come, back, he's come back with an American accent. Listen to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not a surprise at all. Ben loves his American sports. And uh, I know we enjoyed a great night, uh, thanks to Erwin Tools, out there at the uh, Round Rock Express and uh, in the pool and spa box. Tony, it was the pool and spa box. Yeah. yeah. Ben, in those uh, Speedos, though, almost put us off our food. Not, not quite, not quite. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we on air already? <laughs> We're on air already. <laughs> no, we, but uh, Ben, you did go off and see the Astros. You also went off and saw a bit more sport whilst you were over in the US. And I, I think that was one of the highlights that everyone took the opportunity to go and uh, do plenty of looking around whilst they were there. Yeah, it was, it was a really good event. I mean, um, in and around, unfortunately, like, it was quite a, a while away out of the country, but took in the Southern 500 in Darlington, the NASCAR race, and was uh, also, in the end, we saw three baseball games because we went to the Round Rock Express. We played the, the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, and then uh, we saw the Houston Astros down in Houston. And then because of all the tornadoes, we got delayed coming back into Australia, so we had to have an extra day in L.A. and unfortunately had to head out off and see the L.A. Angels play the uh, Seattle Mariners. So, mm. yeah, I, I got my fix of American sport. Mm. But no one has the record that uh, you do, Shebex. You've still got the best gallery of photos with sportsmen ever. Yeah, well, look, I'm more than happy to tell you what it looked like on the television, if you'd <laughs> like to hear. Well, well, no, in all seriousness, what was your impressions? 
Fantastic. Uh, the, the track looked amazing. I'm, I'm really... No hell or high water, I'm going there next year. Uh, gee whiz, what an amazing looking track. The crowd really looked like they got behind it. Everyone looked like they had a great time. Uh, some of the, the, uh, the packages that Seven put together in regards to drivers going to uh, Big Bubba's Burgers Place and all that, whatever they were. And so that was all a lot of fun. And, and the blokes just seemed like they had a really good time. And I, I think, from, from what I can gather and from uh, some of the, some of the, uh, the, the interviews that they did with uh, the crowd, it, they really, really enjoyed it. And they, they don't mind this V8 supercar racing. So I think it's got a big future. And uh, fingers crossed that we're, uh, may, they, you know, V8 supercars may announce another track over there in the next couple of months. Ben, I know that the fans I was speaking to were really enjoying it, even under the impressive heat conditions. It was, yeah. I don't think you could really explain to people back home how hot it was. It was 38 degrees and um, quite, uh, I mean, very quite oppressive conditions. Um, the circuit, fantastic. Um, one of the things I found quite interesting was that the people of Austin are still learning about motor racing and you've got to remember that uh, the track only opened literally days ahead of the Grand Prix back in November since then they've had the Grand Prix they've had the motorcycle um, Grand Prix as well and some ALMS uh, style or, or um, the Rolex series have been through there as well so the culture of motor racing in Austin is still very 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 in its, much in its infancy and a lot of people that we took the opportunity to, to encourage to come out you know they did enjoy themselves they want to know a heck of a lot more uh and i think that all, all goes well for the for the future i think um the circuit as a venue they're also trying to promote it as a bit of a concert venue there's a lot lots of things happening so they're trying to get people to go out there experience the circuit of americas and then obviously try to get them to come to more motor racing events did One... i tell you when i went to hong kong a couple of weeks ago that i was talking to a bloke about the rolex racing and he said he had a cheap car for me out the back <laughs> what sort of car was it? Oh, no, cheap Rolex, you know what I mean. Cheap Rolex, copyright. Interestingly enough, though, the people who really love it, Shebex, and, and uh, this is something I'm sure you would have uh, enjoyed, is it's about $60 to park your car in and around the official parking areas. As you're driving up to the event, everyone who's got property around the track is offering $10 parking. <laughs> it's a two-day walk, but it's $10, you know. <laughs> In fact, Beautiful stuff. I don't know if you, if you saw it, Ben, but one place was actually offering, they would minivan you there. You've got to get home your own way. I'm thinking to myself, really, with the guys, the way these guys were drinking out in the sun, they'd be wanting the minivan back to the uh, car, not the uh, minivan to the track. Yeah, it was, it was a very interesting cultural experience, I suppose. Um, uh, there was the area up on the back part of the circuit where people could park their RVs, and we actually befriended some people up there. And um, so they pay, wait for this, I think it's $15,000 US per year for their spot. But that gets them the Grand Prix and the bikes. It gets them every event for the whole year. So 15 obviously grand. Fifteen grand, and there's a waiting list. And you had, uh, for some of the spots, people have committed to five years. So... And- on top of it, I don't know if you saw the one, but uh, Peter Norton, our good friend at uh, Inside Motorsport, was telling me there was motorhomes there. They were like buses, like you see the tour buses, uh, Shebex. Yeah. And uh, the car, you know how sometimes you'll see people and they tow, they've got their motorhome and then they've got the car that they're going to drive around in on the back uh, towed along? 
there was Amazing. there was one there that the car towed on the back was an Aston Martin. Oh goodness. Yeah, uh, it, it was definitely. It wasn't trailer park track. No, up in that part of the part of the circuit, you, it, it was. Uh, yeah, you couldn't. I'm pretty sure there'd be guys who would go down to the camping, you know, to the RV specialist and say, oh, "Look, I just want to have a test run for the weekend," and then they get out to the circuit so so that they looked the part. It was, uh, I was talking to Simon McNamara on uh, on the grid last weekend, and he uh, went off to the Indy 500. And was just he also informed me about the the. the traffic management at that place and just how efficiently mm. they can get 300,000 people out of a track within an hour and a half of the race finishing. It just sounds amazing. I mean, these guys know how to do it. Yeah, they do. And uh, for people who haven't been there, there's uh, 16th Street's about a six-lane road and uh, Georgetown Road's a three-lane road. And what they do is they say, if you come out onto Georgetown Road, you're going north. If you're coming out onto 16th Street, you're going east. And they have six lanes all going in one direction. They have three lanes all going in another direction, and you just work it out from there if you want to go in a different direction to that. But that's why it's so efficient. I also I can vouch for that at Darlington in South Carolina. I mean, this to give you a, a bit of perspective, it's probably like going to a race at Winton or maybe even Wakefield Park outside Goulburn. It really is in, in countryside South Carolina. You roll on up, yep, and the roads are all going one way. In You know, before the race, all the roads go into the track. So if you're wanting to come the other way, bad luck. <laughs> and after you're the race, all, real. The roads, all the roads are heading out. So if you want to be going the other way, well, you're just going to have to wait because they figure that it's, it's more inconvenient to hold up 70,000 people than to literally hold up 100 people. You're talking real Hicksville, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I had, uh, I think, um, my cameraman and I, Ben O'Connor, I think we had more teeth combined than the, the, than the first two rows. So. <laughs> yeah, the great thing about going to a NASCAR race, and this is so far away from our list of topics, but the great thing about going to the NASCAR race is it's the one time where when you go to the infield and go to the RVs, the people, it, it, it's fantastic. There's a real family atmosphere and barbecues and everyone's very inviting. Tailgate, not barbecues, tailgate. Yeah, and then you go to you go to the stands and it's just downright scary. Yeah. Whereas normally, the, you know, the, the, the stands tickets are normally taken up by the people who can afford it and uh, going down into the uh, RV pits is the scary part. But a NASCAR crowd, it's completely the other way around and, and very enjoyable experience. Hey, we've got to take a break here on the V8 Insiders, but plenty more when we return. We might even get on topic. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu GRM team, and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the Van Insiders here. Craig Ravel with Ben Beasley and Tony Shebecki. And guys, uh, you mentioned just briefly there, Tony, that we're hoping that we'll hear a second race quite soon. And it's quite interesting when we're speaking to the guys at the Circuit of the Americas, Ben, they said they have got an exclusion zone, but they're keen to see a second race to, as uh, we say over here, and they like the saying, to pair up the event with another race. Yeah, and it makes it does make sense because they're right now footing the bill for everything. You know, 
the, the freight in and the freight out and all the things. You know, if they can pair with somebody and, and make it worthwhile, uh, as you say, they obviously don't want somebody uh, down the road, but somewhere within the continental US or, uh, or Mexico. Mexico seems to be quite a, quite a hot tip for this maybe to happen you know, and pair up with it, uh, mainly because, um, again, they're trying to create this culture of motor racing, which is different. What they're very mindful of is, is to select a circuit that um, doesn't have, um, especially NASCAR, I mean, they really want to steer away from, from being uh, closely associated with NASCAR because they need to be different and they need to be going into markets that either appreciate European-style road racing or are in a market to build a new circuit or something similar like that. So, um, and Mexico, although it's sort of in North America, it's 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 uh, it's got that more Hispanic culture of uh, road racing. Some great, you know, even Formula One drivers have come from Mexico, and current Formula One drivers from Mexico, and and even South America. So they, I think they would like that to happen, and and really spread the love, I guess, but uh, not to the detriment of their own race. And of course, uh, you have to you have to wonder if NASCAR was so anti V8 supercars running as Chevys, they're not going to be happy if any of the tracks on their schedule start booking a V8 supercar race. Yeah, I I don't think NASCAR is anti V8 supercar at all. I just think that um, the Circuit of the Americas have recognised that they've got to get a, a different type of race fan to appreciate their racing, and that's really where their, their mindset is with um, trying to, you know, create a, or, or entice the, um, the road racing um, followers of uh, North American motorsport. Hey, Ben, I agree with everything you said, but I also agree with Dick Johnson, who said a couple of weeks ago that uh, a fantastic idea, get another race in America, but don't just get a race just because you want to share the cost with Texas, with Austin. Get a race that you know is going to work and it's going to be on the calendar again for the next five years like we're expecting Austin to be. Don't just get someone in and then it falls after two years because it absolutely looks then the whole, the whole uh, thing becomes a failure. So do it for the right reasons. Don't just do it because you're trying to save a couple of bucks. Mm. And that was an interesting thing, Ben, that happened when we were talking with Circa the Americas. Uh, Cole Hitchcock said quite emphatically that the Abu Dhabi deal isn't dead. It's just on a hiatus. And they are V8 supercars and Abu Dhabi are going to lock in and finish that contract because uh, uh, obviously the heads have had a, a big trouble in uh, completing contracts over the last few years with international circuits. Yeah, I, I do find that interesting. Um, I hope it's right and in one sense, but be almost surprised if it happens. I mean, yeah, I'm... The, the pairing up with, you know, we're using this word again, you know, at its height when it was working right in the Middle East was when Abu Dhabi was back-to-back weekends with Bahrain and uh, you could move from one to the next. And, um, you know, as much as talking about sharing costs, you know, if people are going to invest their time in going to watch the races overseas, you know, giving them two races in two weeks makes sense. Going to Abu Dhabi again, I'd, I'd have to say it was going to have to happen if they could find another race to pair up with now, whether it, that's Bahrain again or um, maybe even probably Qatar is, is probably the more likely option, but um, still there's a lot of work to be done before you know either of those things are announced. And let's not forget, guys, too, that realistically, in two years' time, 
there may be a massive gap at the start of the season after Clipsal. We may not have an Australian Grand Prix, a Formula One Grand Prix. Uh, realistically, that could be the situation if the government down here in Victoria decide to pull out their assistance and, uh, and, and keep paying the $50 million a year that it's costing for it. So let's be mindful of that, that we could have a four-week gap that maybe in Abu Dhabi and a Qatar or an Abu Dhabi and Bahrain or whoever it might be might slip back into the calendar. I know they wanted, initially we had those races at the start of the season. Maybe they run Clipsal as the first race and then off overseas straight off to that. Definitely an interesting thought. And, uh, of course, the other race that's uh, certainly under the pump is the Gold Coast. And, Ben, it's it's interesting to see how it's going to stack up because the Newman government seems to be committed to one of two V8 supercar races and politically it's hard to give money to a southeast event when the north and far north Queensland are so... Uh, lowly supported by the government already when it comes to major tourism events. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling you get when you go to Townsville that they um, have a feeling that there's the Queensland government and then there's the Brisbane South East Queensland government. And they use that very much as a political tool to remind the Premier of the time, whether it was uh, you know past uh, governments or current governments, that you know they represent the state. And that, that um, especially uh, when you talk about the mineral resources and all that sort of stuff, the money which is coming from, you know, central and north Queensland is uh, probably earning the state more money than some of the things down south. So when they say that they continually prop up events in the south, uh, southeast corner of Queensland uh, versus the north, north part, northern part of Queensland, that's, I guess, where the argument comes in. But if the Newman government can afford to keep everything, I think they'd love to keep everything. But, you know, some tough decisions have to be made. And whether it's a motor racing event, another cultural or sporting event, you know, that's that's the hard thing. The thing is that the Commonwealth Games are going to the Gold Coast. So there's, a, there's the perception from within the rest of the state that there's more focus once again on that southeast corner. So... You know, I'm, I know that V8 supercars are, are doing their, their part of lobbying the government to retain the funding for, the, for all events, not just uh, the Gold Coast event or the Townsville event, because they've also received funding for the race at Ipswich as well. So it's, um, it's no doubt that uh, there's a lot of politicking to be done and, and a lot of uh, lobbying to be done to, to retain, you know, if it's one, two or all three events. The one thing that grabs me, boys, is that, uh, to me, this is a no-brainer. It costs the state government $6 million a year to, to run. It brings in $15 million a year in economic benefits, according to the state government. Uh, hello, is there a problem? Well, I guess you've got to balance it off with a, a state that's a state like many of the states in this country that are in a huge deficit. And while $6 million doesn't fix your deficit, it goes towards showing that you are tightening the reins and uh, and governments like New South Wales can quite rightly say, well, V8 supercars, you can put the vent on yourself and you can have all that risk. Now, we've seen that in Sydney and V8 supercars are copying the entire risk, which is one of the reasons why we don't think it's going to make it through to the next contract. You think that's a fair assessment, Ben? Um, you know... Motor racing is one thing, um, events, uh, you know, it, I think everything obviously has to stack up. 
you know, the Queensland government as well has obviously taken a hit in the last three years with two massive floods. Things have got to be paid for. And um, your future as a politician, let alone an, an entire government, is based on the decisions you make for the wider community and the perception of people, whether it's bringing money into the state or not, you know, probably isn't isn't the point with what the decision or how the decisions are going to be made. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting problem that V8 Supercars is going to have to face with the case of many of their races being so heavily publicly funded. And uh, it's it's going to come to a head as every, every, uh, every contract needs to be reviewed, remembering that Clipsal is owned by the South Australian Motorsport Board and the South Australian Government to start with. So it's sort of a no-brainer there. They've got a cash cow and it's their cash cow. It's not something they're hiring in per se to uh, make them money. And the thing is with some of these the events we're talking about, with the exception of Ipswich, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure costs that have to be taken into account. You know, street racing is expensive across the board. They're expensive to set up. They're expensive to maintain, to uh, promote. For the teams, they're expensive as well because they generally damage cars quite heavily. Uh, Corporate-wise, they're expensive because everything has to be brought in and taken away. You know, um, you know, a lot of people will argue from a motor racing standpoint, isn't the money better spent on permanent facilities and that sort of thing to keep people coming back? One of the events I think is the highlight of the series is the next one on the V8 calendar, and that's Darwin. That's a permanent racetrack. They spend some money every year to... Um, set extra facilities up within that but it's a contained facility and maybe the focus needs to go back onto you know the next generation of racetracks of getting back to building racetracks and you know helping support motorsport overall because then that will then on over a, I think governments can probably justify spending money that, on a facility that's going to serve you know over a long test of time and 365 days of the year you know not four days of a year. Yeah, well, as you well know, Ben, you're in Canberra when the Canberra 400 came around and that money that was going into a permanent circuit for the second time got spent on something else, which was the street track, which only lasted, was it three or two years? I can't even remember now. Three events. Yeah, yeah three events. And so that money that would have been a permanent facility uh, got put into a street race that uh, didn't even see out its contracts. Uh, it's, and, and it's hard to make those sort of comments or you make those sort of judgments, but then you go to the Circuit of Americas and you see modern-style racetracks and you go, this, this is where the future is. You know, this is where things have got to be heading. You know, and that's, that's probably, you know, a wise spend of money. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think if you look at what the Northern Territory government has to pay every year to hold on to V8 supercars, it's a far less investment than, than other state governments. And they get a facility that uh, is educating drivers every other day of the year. I just don't believe you can afford to lose a jewel in the crown, and Gold Coast definitely is a jewel in the crown of the V8 calendar, and they've got to do everything they can to make sure that event stays up and running. Mm. But it was never a V8 supercar race until really the A1GP fell over, because let's face it, it was a NASCAR-supported event when it first started, Ben, and that's the critical thing. Everyone's sort of rewritten the history because V8 supercars is now the predominant series. And funny thing is, you hear reports that IndyCars would love the Queensland government to give them money again to come back and race on the Gold Coast because they know what it's worth and they know the appeal and all that sort of stuff because in America, you know, they can't find cities who want to have races over there. So, 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, some, in some aspects, has the horse bolted from, from that side of thing? And, and the Queensland government's whole point of view of originally supporting the whole race concept was an international race format. Even to the point that the last few years, we've had international co-drivers support V8 supercars up there. This year, that's not going to be the case. So, you know, how does the Queensland government get... I know that they get the... Or the local tourism obviously benefits from from, bedroom, from hotel rooms and the, and the restaurants and stuff like that, but it's the overseas exposure that's the key to, I guess, a, a tourism, international tourism point of view that they've, they've got to try to win back. Well, guys, we could talk about this for a while, but it is time to wrap it up. Uh, Tony, on the grid every Sunday morning, it's right back in full swing as we speak. Yeah, it certainly is, uh, Craig, and uh, yeah, looking forward to another show this week. Uh, we'll just keep it rolling for the remainder of the year and uh, try and get as many guests as we can and just, uh, yeah, it's a fun hour of motorsport. Mm, of course, uh, you can listen to that all around Australia online at sen.com.au. And also, Ben, we can catch up with your reports, well, weekly, just about on Fox Sport News. Yeah, Fox Sports News, Channel 513, it's on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the white flag lap is up next here on the V8 Insiders. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we go further in depth to the future of Russell Ingall. He spoke to V8X magazine. Here's the bits we couldn't get in the mag. You won the Drive to Europe series. I know my cousin when he won it. He said, you got a ticket to Heathrow, but on the back of that, there wasn't a program in place. Now, that was 1980. You were doing it in the, the late 80s, early 90s. Did they have any better structure for you then? No, the Driver to Europe series was, was was a bit of a farce, really. You know, that's all it was. You know, a one-way plane ticket, and and that was it. And, and uh, you know, a letter saying wishing you good luck. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't have much credit once you lobbed up in England. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, uh, I used it another way. I used the Formula Ford series in here to make contacts because I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. So I use it as an opportunity to um, make relationships with people like Van Diemen, who came in handy down the road uh, and who supported me when I did get to England, um, and just people within the industry that had contacts overseas that could help me because I knew I was going to have to pay my own way to get over there, uh, and I needed every bit of help I was going I could get. So I, I used that as more as a stepping stone rather than you know, a, a tag of a series, you know, of thinking they're going to fund you overseas, which was far from the truth, you know. So um, that, that, that's how I sort of used it as a, as a stepping stone to get to England. Of course, when you're over there, a, a fascinating stat I found. You won 13 of 16 races in one year. Right now, you were 13 out of 16 years in the Viet Supercars. You've been in the top 10. It's an interesting combination of 13 and 16. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I was that was '93. I, I did a year in Germany in '92 in Formula Three, but had to take a step back again. You know, it was one of those things where grab drives where you can, and that's when uh, Formula Fords went to this new ZTEC championship. They used the new overhead cam two liter engine, um, and uh, it was quite an exciting category then because the cars were way quicker than the old 1600 Kent cars, and uh, they were they were actually faster in a straight line than a Formula Three car. Um, so they were that, it, it was a great category and uh, again through the relationships through Van Diemen they gave me a factory drive and actually paid me to, that's the first time I actually got paid as a full time driver and uh, it was a fantastic year like you know they had some heavy duty punters in there and it was uh, it, it was it was really enjoyable and and, uh, and won the former Ford Festival as well which was you know there's not too many Aussies that have uh, got their name up on the trophy at Brands Hatch of course famously when you moved to Morris you gave me the quote pretty boy thinks a lot of himself when I asked you about the comments on testing the year before and that that blew up when it eventually got out and uh, basically you outed his nickname <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely oh well like you know, that's always a running joke I think um, uh, yeah well James is the poster boy of the category I think so um, there's no doubt about it but if I had his good looks too I wouldn't be complaining either to be honest but um yeah, I mean, you know, like the good thing about it is he can take it. I mean, we've had, I mean, we've had plenty of stouches on the track in the same team, you know. Especially last year, you know, we, I've turned him around a few times and he's had a go at me, and like, you know. But we laugh about it afterwards because I think it's that European again, that European mentality. Anyone else, I think, in the category that hasn't had that experience would come back and whinge and bitch for the next six months, you know people like myself and James we just shrug it off and go oh well, you know we'll get on with it you know it's not a big deal it's only racing you know so that's the difference in being brought up with the European racing mentality uh, no, no one over there lets it, lets it carry on off you know off the track what happens on the track that's it and uh, you know and, and but if you give it you've got to expect to get it back again you know so um, but uh, so yeah it's, um, it's funny how it's, uh, it's still around about though at the end of the day with Walkinshaws now and a factory you know the scene as the factory Holden effort how far away is that from Larry uh yeah different but the same <laughs> you know it's it's in some respects like um different in respects that um the infrastructure is obviously a lot bigger you know there's got the involvement with Holden and HSV um, uh, there's a lot more palm trees around the place, which Larry didn't like. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's just a, a bigger setup. You know, more personnel and and um, uh, where Larry's was more back to basics. You know, ran out of Sheb of Moorabbin Airport um, and a lot more low key, but nothing to say the engineering wasn't as good, if not better. You know, that's and that's a di- that, that's I think the difference. But you know, things have changed. The 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 owner-driver um, scenario that went on back then is is has changed. Now it's become more professional. Where you've got people that actually own the teams, um, have investments in teams, and all they do is go find the best driver they can to plug in the seat and, and try and go and get the best results they can. Um, so it's it's a different atmosphere, but the commitment never changes. You know that the commitment to building the best car to get the best results never changes just people go around in a different way you know Larry had a different way of doing it 
um, where Walkinshaw's, uh, you know, I mean, Larry is probably more firing for the hip, you know, whereas Walkinshaw's uh, more methodical bet they go go around it. Which is better? It's hard to say. There's, there's faults in both ways, to be honest. Um, maybe I'd like to think there's a combination of both is actually the best way. <laughs> has the way the series has changed, has it changed your appreciation of being able to get into a car and drive? Um, oh, yeah, look, I always have an appreciation of jumping in any car, you know, but the um, the formats have changed, obviously, you know, to, to a longer longer race format compared to, you know, it used to be three 20-minute races or 20-lap races, depending on what circuit we went to. Uh, it was a lot more hard and fast then as well. Now it's a lot more methodical with the pit stops and... Um, and, and how you go about it, and strategy is obviously a lot more important. Um, one thing that's always been my been my fault is, and, and it's only been in touring cars rather than rather than open wheelers, is qualifying. And to me, that the category has been very much a, a qualifying sport. If you qualify well, um, you usually end up having a good weekend. You know, and, and there is drivers there that can pull one lap out in qualifying, and, and it's, I think has helped them to win races and win championships. Um, to me, that's still not the best driver. You know, I think there's still drivers there that can actually race in a field far better than, the, than some of the guys have actually won races uh, and won championships. Um, how you rectify that, I don't know, because that's the way motor racing is. You qualify for your grid position, and you go, then you go racing. You know, it's, it's going to be a bit hard to actually get around that, but. Um, our credit group, I think because of our tracks more than anything as well because a lot of our circuits are fairly small passing is sometimes difficult you know. whereas in Europe if you don't qualify that well the best racers usually do race their ways to the front because the tracks are probably near twice the size you know. so you have the opportunity to do it so, um, but yeah so, so the, the format's changing to the longer distance races sometimes I, I think I still prefer the shorter, hard, fast races. You know, to be honest, as far as an out-and-out driving, you've got you've got a short period of time period to, to get to the front. You know, whatever it takes. Um, now it's a bit more, you know, methodical how you go about it. Probably less aggressive as well because you know you can't damage the car um, because you've got a long distance to go, so you can't be driving around the whole race with a wounded car. So I, I think that's why the racing has become a bit more subtle over the years as well it's definitely not as you plug in some of the early tapes and it was a lot more aggressive back in the 90s than it was now what do you think this sport could be if officials and other other business aspects of it were to be run by Russell Ingle well I mean you know I I don't think any sport or any business and you've got to look at it as a business can be run by a single individual it has to be organised by and, and run by people that know um, know what what is the best in each division of that business or sport um, and that's I think been the fault of our supercars up to a point I think there's maybe one or two people that have been making various decisions varying decisions of the sport um, that probably is outside of their expertise you know um, to me if you know I think Tony Cochran was fantastic in putting deals together didn't have a clue about a race car or racing itself 
but putting a deal together, you wouldn't get anyone better. So you'd have him in that area for sure. You're like you park him in that box and say, right, Tony, you're the man. Go out and do the deals and get us races in obscure places in different parts of the world. Um, where I think my box would be is the racing itself. The saying, right, formats, keeping team owners under control which I think they get a little bit loose. There's far too much self-interest that comes into our sport. Um, uh, people don't think of the sport. They think of themselves. You know, they're getting a little bit greedy. Um, I think some of the decisions that have been made, both and even with Car of the Future, you know, is, is probably could have been thought out a little bit better and a little bit more cost-effective as well. And I think that's been one of the failings so far. Is it's, uh, uh, I think people now are just finding out how much this changeover is actually is going to cost and how much it's going to hurt for a few years to come. Um, to me, that's where you need, you need someone that's had experience both overseas and locally, and, and that, that's what I'd get my teeth into, you know, those sort of areas, but especially the racing side of it, you know, and formats and, and, and what to do and how to do it and and it's all and and like nascar and i use nascar always as a as a as a playbook in, in so it should be always about the show nothing else always about the show and if that means you know letting a couple of drivers have a bit of a dust up and doesn't matter you know like i said as long as they're not trying to kill themselves you know you can let the rope out for a little while and if it gets a bit too radical well then you can always pull it back in you know but at the end of the day it has to be about entertainment because the only people that can in our sport are the people that are paying their dollars coming through that gate and the people that turn their TV on to watch the telecast. That's the only people that count. Team owners don't count. The people that sit in V8 supercars head office don't count. Only the fans count, you know, and that can never be forgotten. So um, to me, that's that's one thing that maybe could be highlighted a little bit more with the powers to be, I think. But, um, but, but again, it, it's a matter of right person for the right job not one person fits all you know and that's that to go forward um that has to be managed correctly um like i said there's only my opinion but you know i sit from the outset and watch this happen day in day out um the car of the future thing is is a is a right initially i was skeptical but i think they could have done it better and they could have done it a hell of a lot more cost efficient um, but the concept is right, you know, of, of making it more open to other manufacturers because the world is changing. You know, the fact of the matter is um, car companies have done and are still doing it up to a point pretty tough and uh, um, and we can't rely on just two manufacturers. It's a shame. You know, I, I loved the Ford and Holden rivalry and passion that the fans have shown over the years, but on the same boat, if we want our sport to survive, I think it was a necessity, you know, so... Um, there is uh, there's a lot to be said for it. I think other manufacturers in years to come will get involved, um, but you still have to get the entertainment factor right, you know, because it's one thing to get them involved, but you know you got to keep them involved by making sure the fans are happy. My thanks to Russell, Ben, and Tony as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.